So, uh, welcome to our Sunday Bhagavatam class. Turn the uh, ringer off on this. So, very interesting class today, I think. I mean, the verses are very interesting. So, uh, let's start right away. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So we're beginning today with text 116.8 of the Bhagavatam. Sorry, just... Uh, Actually, a 116.18. Sorry about that. 116.18. So, <clears throat> this is a section where Parichit Maharaj has gone out to make sure that everything is going properly in his kingdom, in the country, the nation. And so, he comes across this very interesting, uh, disturbing scene which we will talk about. Uh, so the first verse says, Dharma padai kena charan vichayam upalabhya gam prachati smashu vadanam vivatsam vivamataram. So, um, Dharma, the bull, Dharma pada ekina charan was uh, wandering about with one leg. So I think it's important to know right away that first of all, a cow cannot wander on one leg. I mean, you know, maybe it could hop, but if you understand the way a bull's body is formed, you can't go on one leg. And so this is a an allegory. Uh, this is an allegory. So I'm going to read the definition of the word allegory it is a story, poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. Not a great definition. So in other words, it's, it's not literally the case. Uh, so uh, in other words, there's not literally a bull going around One second. So one point I wanted to make is that um, is that um, the cow or the bull are often used for allegories. For example, Prithu Maharaj in the um, fourth canto, he milks the earth and he uses different things as the calf and different object as the pail to catch the milk. And so it really represents uh, building a, a prosperous human economy in a pre-industrial world. So, and yet it's always the idea like you make something, the calf, you make something, the pail, and then you milk the cow of the earth. And so uh, it's not literally a, a pail and a cow. It's talking about pre how Prithu Maharaj created prosperity. And so there are other cases, for example, I mean, we have this case right here and uh, to so the cow or the bull are very central <clears throat> in a civilization, not only economically central to provide human needs, 
but also symbolically, there's all kinds of symbolism in Vedic culture. For example, the symbolism of the highest part of the body, the head, and the lowest part of the body, the feet. So we talk about serving the lotus feet of the guru, worshiping the feet of the guru, bande guru si charanaravina. It doesn't mean that every good disciple becomes a pedicurist, as I often say. It doesn't mean, I mean, most of Prabhupada's disciples never actually gave him a foot massage or, or anything like that. So it's not literally serving the physical feet, but the feet being the lowest part of the body represents the most humble service or the head. Like, for example, Draupadi, uh, the uh, Kurus touched her hair, which was considered a capital offense, or Krishna punished Rukmi and also Ashwatthama by cutting their hair, which was considered a, a very serious punishment because the top, the highest part of the body. And similarly, the cow. So one way I think we can talk about the symbolism of the cow uh, is if we just, if we actually look in the Sanskrit dictionary uh, under the word um, go or cow, and if you see all the different meanings, I mean, I mean, the, the word go comes from the, the, the nominative form is gao, which is our cow. I mean, the English word cow is almost pure Sanskrit. Uh, cow in English, gao in Sanskrit. So if we uh, just look up that simple word, which means cow, uh, it can mean all kinds of things. It, it can mean an ox, or in the masculine or in the feminine, a cow, cattle, kind, a herd of cattle. Uh, it can mean uh, the herds in the sky. It can mean the stars because the, uh, so it doesn't mean they're literally herds of cows in the sky, but the constellation, the stars were compared to herds of cows, the herds of stars or the, or the, the groups of, of stars, it can mean a ray of light, because again, you have the, the stars up there, so then the rays of light, rays of light can also be called go or cows. It can mean the sun, it can be the moon. Uh, it can be all kinds of things. I'm not gonna read all these definitions, but uh, it can mean the senses. For example, uh, a very common word in Sanskrit is go chara. <clears throat> Now, gochara, you could say literally mean cow grazing or cow wandering. But from this, because chara means to go or to wander, just like that which, or to do, like that which you have done is called charita, like Chaitanya, charita, amrita, the nectar of what Lord Chaitanya did, that's charita, oh, Ram, charita, and so on. So, so the word uh, go, uh, can mean the senses. And so chara, go chara, literally the senses wandering. And so the word go chara commonly means something like your sphere of perception, like the area in which you can actually perceive things. And uh, for example, indriya go chara means the area that the senses can actually perceive. So we know there are certain wavelengths, certain wavelengths of light, uh, that we can't see, like infrared or X-ray, we can't see those things. So they are not indriya gochara. They're not within the range. Our senses cannot go there. Uh, 
So um, this is a common word in our literature. So again, I'm not going to read all the definitions. The earth, uh, go can mean the earth as the, uh, and so on. So I mention all that just to show you that when we see Parikshit Maharaj uh, coming across a, a bull and a cow, and the cow is wandering on one leg, which is, I mean, physically actually impossible. Uh, but it's a symbolic story because the bull, of course, represents Dharma. The bull represents Dharma. And uh, as I said, in, in the Prithu Maharaj, we have an obvious allegory where he's producing everything human beings need on earth and doing that by so, you know, so to speak, making different things into pails and calves to, to make the cow want to give milk and so on. So anyway, dharma padai kena charan, and the same word chara, grazing, moving about. So dharma is moving about on one leg. Vichayam upalabhya gam, and upon perceiving gam, now here it means a cow, which is vichayam, chaya means shade, and so something which is probably translates vichayam overtaken by the shadow of grief. Uh, so in India, because it's, you know, it gets very hot, especially in North India, uh, you know, there are seasons where it gets almost unbearably hot. And so shade is a very positive thing, like the shade of the lotus feet. Whereas if you look at, let's say, Northern European culture, where you, where the problem is not the summer, the problem is the cold, the winter, Shade is sort of a negative thing, like in the shadows. And and so, because same word in Sanskrit means shade and shadow. <clears throat> so the shadows are kind of dark things, like ghostly or some, you know, criminals lurking there waiting to harm you. So it's interesting how in cold countries, shade and shadow are kind of dark images. Whereas in tropical countries or hot countries, there are positive images. So here we have bichayam without shade. So the word bichaya uh, can mean different things. But uh, so he saw a cow, probably translate that overtaken by the shadow of grief. So prichati, so the bull asks prichati, the bull asks the cow. Uh, it's very interesting because if you, first of all, if you look at the bull and the cow, it's sort of a complete human society because the cow, symbol of the earth, actually. And then, of course, the, the, the cow is a symbol of the earth. And, so, and, and we see in the, in the Prithu Maharaj story, in the fourth canto, it, it's the earth cow that has to give everything that human beings need, in fact, all creatures need to flourish, to prosper. So, um, and then the bull is dharma, which, are, which is the law or the rules, like how you have to behave. So you between the bull and the cow, you have one producing everything we need, food and and rain and you know minerals and building materials. So the cow is giving us everything. And then the bull is establishing the rules, like how you have to live and what you have to do. So these are the two aspects of society, right? All the, all the natural resources we need and, the, and then the laws that we need in order to use those things properly and live in peace with other people and other creatures. So the bull asked the cow, Dharma asked the earth in a sense, who was Ashubadana, who had tears in her 
face or in her eyes. So vatana can mean, can mean mouth or face. So she, her face is covered with tears. And uh, she's bivat samiva, as if she had lost her calf. So if, you, if you've ever lived on a farm, if a cow loses her calf or the calf is taken away, the cow uh, laments very much or cries. So, so uh, the cow looked as if she had lost her calf. And again, Eva, as if. He asked her, she was as if she was a mother who had lost her child or a cow that had lost her calf. And Dharma is going to question her. So we're going to get a conversation between, in a sense, government, between the laws which are meant to rule people and these laws or this uh, or Dharma is now inquiring of the earth, like, why are you suffering? Which is, by the way, you know, what a government does. If a government official comes across someone who's in the street or obviously suffering or injured, then immediately an investigation is open. You know, the police or whatever say, like, what happened to you? Are you all right? Who did this to you? So this is really analogous to some government official coming across people who are suffering. Dharma and the cow. So we'll go to the next verse. Um, Dharma Uvacha, Dharma said, Kachit Bhadre, Kachit introduces a question, like, is it the case? Kachit Bhadre Namiyam Atmanaste. So this is a typical greeting in Sanskrit. When people meet, they will often ask whether you are anamaya. Amaya means a disease or a serious problem. And the and without that is anamaya, no amaya. You have no disease, you're healthy, you're doing well. So are so padre, like fine lady, noble lady, probably translates here in the word for it as madam. Uh, which is, of course, in the French, Madame, my lady. So, Kachit, of you, of yourself, is everything okay with you? Basically, it's in sort of somewhat colloquial English, would be, is everything all right with you? No problems. I mean, obviously, there are problems. Bichayasi, and, and again, this word bichaya, you seem to be troubled. Prabhupada says, appear to be covered with the shadow of grief. Mlayateshan uh, uh, mukena. By your face, your face kind of gives evidence that you are not well because your face is sort of like drying up or suffering. This is an interesting Sanskrit word. So um, it comes from the Sanskrit root mlai, M-L-A-I. So I think I'll just tell you what this mlayata uh, Mlayata means, it goes with the word uh, face here. Your face is Mlayata. So uh, it means fading, withering, uh, languid, which means no energy, exhausted, dejected, to have a worn appearance. It can also mean, uh, yeah, basically what I said, weak, no energy, dejected, exhausted, all these things, withered faded. So that's the word mlayata, which refers to mukena. So, and so the, the bull is asking because the cow, uh, the earth is showing these features. 
And so then the Dharma says, alakshaye, which means I have noticed, or I'm, yeah, I'm noticing, alakshaye bhavatim antaradhim, that you have some problem within yourself, some disease, or so the word here is antar, of course, means within, and adhi, the word is adhi, and it, uh, Usually vyadi means like a physical disease and adi means like a mental problem, not in the sense of someone being crazy, but in the sense of um, uh, being depressed or suffering in some way. So that's uh, the word. I'll just tell you very quickly what the Sanskrit dictionary says about the word adhi. A thought, a care, anxious reflection, mental agony, anxiety, pain. So under Adi, within yourself, there is some mental agony or there's some anxious reflection, some worry or care within you. So that's literally what Dharma says. Uh, and he says, I perceive this. I'm noticing this. Dure bandung shochasi kanchanamba. So Amba, uh, dear lady, are you lamenting a friend, Bandhum, Dure, who is now far away? Some Kanchana, some. Are you lamenting because you have some dear friend who is now far away? So, of course, this is going to be a reference to Krishna who has left the earth. And so that's the, the background of all this is that Krishna has left the earth, and that's why the earth is suffering. So go to the next verse. Um, so padar nunam shochasi maika padam. Are you not lamenting uh, because you have been diminished? Nunam diminished by three legs, now you're, you're only uh, saying a one leg, which is interesting because the bull is also just on one leg. So they're both reduced to one leg. So it's, in a sense, well, directly, really, we have this philosophical statement, which is, you could say it's indirect, but it's there. And that is that the fate of Dharma is also the fate of the earth. Because again, you have these two figures. You have governance, which is Dharma. Dharma means the rules of the game. The law, Dharma also means law. And because Dharma is diminished, therefore the prosperity of the earth is now diminished. So people who follow dharma will become prosperous and people that don't will become impoverished in various ways and suffer so you have this uh direct correspondence between dharma and and uh the earth or the bull and the cow which is also interesting so vrishalaya vrishala means Prabhupada calls translates vrishala as the unlawful meat eaters uh Let's see. Uh, in the Sanskrit dictionary, Vrishala means uh, a little or contemptible man, low, low class or wicked person. It can also mean a sudra. So Prabhupada here translates it as meat eater. So just like, uh, so here, 
Dharma is saying to the earth that um, it's asking us questions that are you literally being, being consumed by or Prabhupada says exploited by, which is a very good translation. Uh, this is the same word from which uh, the same, this word comes from the same root as to eat, like boga, food, you know, what you eat. Of course, for us, it's not offered food. And so bhokshamana literally means being consumed by, or being eaten by, or, of course, the, the word eat in Sanskrit and the word food in Sanskrit is also used in many symbolic ways. For example, the Upanishads, sort of what we might call the haves and the have-nots, like those who have power and those who have no power. They're called often the eaters and the eaten. So in other words, the ones who consume and the ones who are consumed, which is, you could say, it's kind of like also our word for exploitation, the exploiters and the exploited. So so the word words like eat, to eat, and uh, food, also they have many symbolic meanings in the Vedic literature. So here it said that, um, is it that, uh, or is it that yourself, you are being consumed by, exploited by, devoured by uh, low-class people? Aho Or are you lamenting for uh, the godly people? including the devas, the demigods, and the godly people, adin, etc., all the different categories of godly people, hrita yajna vagan, whose share of Vedic sacrifice has been stolen. Whose share of Vedic sacrifice has been stolen. In other words, the Vedic culture is collapsing, that there is a system there is a system uh, in which people, which Krishna describes in chapter three of the Bhagavad Gita, in which people make offerings to the devas, the devas then give us what we need. And Krishna calls this a pravartitam chakram, evam pravartitam chakram. This is a wheel that has been made to turn, a wheel that has been made to turn. And uh, Krishna says one, uh, one who doesn't keep the wheel turning. The wheel is that we make offerings to higher powers. We receive gifts, what we need to live, rain, food, so on. We take that food or we take those gifts and we make an offering back to those who gave them to us. And Krishna says, uh, A person who accepts all those gifts and doesn't keep the wheel turning, doesn't keep the cycle going by offering back, Krishna says, is nothing but a thief, it's simply a thief. So in, as Kalyug advances, of course, people don't pay attention. People just go to supermarkets and buy whatever they want and stuff it in their face without considering that this comes from God. So, therefore, Hrita Yajna Vagan, that the, the shares of sacrifice have been stolen, and so, therefore, are you, are you lamenting for the, de the demigods, the devas, who are being deprived? And you can say, if they're so powerful, why do they need our, all our offerings? Well, for example, there are little insects in the soil, worms in the soil, 
And if those worms aren't, they aerate the soil by their crawling around inside the earth. They actually create air pockets and that helps to enrich the earth. So our ability to produce food, agriculture, depends, among other things, on little worms. Or, for example, depends on certain birds that eat insects. The insects would eat the crops. And so if you think about it, even though we consider ourselves as human beings much more powerful than lower species, and yet we can't really survive unless all kinds of insects and worms and bees and birds, you know, unless they do their part. So similarly, the universe is actually interdependent. There is an interdependent ecology. There, there's a universal ecology in which everyone depends on everyone else. And that's why it's not silly, the idea that even the devas uh, have problems if we don't offer sacrifices. So then finally, are you uh, lamenting for the prajas, just the creatures, citizens and creatures in general, Uttaswin Magavati because now uh, Magavan means Indra, who gives gifts to us, that's what it literally means, uh, is not reigning. Indra is not reigning. In other words, uh, because the rain is not coming, all creatures will suffer. So are you lamenting for them? Anyway, I'll stop here, but uh, as I hope you can see, there's all kinds of cultural, historical, theological information in these verses if we look at the words closely. So at this point, I will see if there are any questions. Uh, thank you all for... Um, for showing up. So let's see. Uh, thank you for your comments. Actually, the comments are usually almost all very positive. Sometimes they're all positive. Uh, on a good day. Uh, let's see. Here's a question, oh, from Ramananda. Question, given the power of the symbolism you described with the cow, is it possible that the Bhagavatam is entirely symbolic <laughs> and not historical in nature? <laughs> That's a good question. Like, let's take it all the way. Um, no, I mean, is it possible? Is it uh, is that what the text indicates? No, not at all. Because when we read stories of real historical persons, including Krishna, uh, there is absolutely no indication of symbolism. For example, the cow. You have a cow and a bull walking on one leg. That's not, you know, physically possible. And as we know, Dharma is a set of laws uh, and rules rules of the road and and the earth is actually a planet not just a cow so so when there is allegorical symbolism it's uh it's not subtle it's actually quite obvious whereas let's say if you take parichit himself uh there's absolutely no indication that uh parichit is a symbol 
In fact, if everything in the Bhagavatam was assembled, there wouldn't be any people in the Bhagavatam, which is not possible since we know that there were people on the earth. So if you, if you describe everything, if you start taking all the historical people as symbols, there's nothing left. In fact, there's not even an earth left. If everything's a symbol, there are no planets, there are no people, there's nothing. Uh, so it just leads to an absurdity. And in the case of Parikshi, we don't find... I mean, Parikshi talking to a cow and a bull, you could say Parikshi participates in an allegory. But if you look at all his other activities, he's acting like a regular king. He's not acting symbolically. He takes up a sword and he, you know, he goes on a chariot. Those are things that real kings do. And the chariot is not supernatural. For example, there's, I think it's in the fifth canto or something, perhaps the sun god's chariot. Or in the fourth canto, where uh, a description of Purunjana's chariot. So you do get uh, you do get descriptions of chariots, which are obviously symbolic, and and the text says it's symbolic because you'll say, okay, the posts of the chariot, which the sort of the charioteer hangs onto, uh, they symbolize this, and the horses symbolize that, or the or the famous Vedic uh, symbolism that. The chariot is the body. And then it says that the chariot is the body. The horses are the senses. The reins are the intelligence. The chariot driver. No, the, the reins are the mind. The, the chariot driver is the intelligence. The passenger is the soul. So when there are symbols, you know, usually it explains what everything is. And also things behave in ways which obviously that's not the way the real world is. I'm not talking about supernatural powers. Because let's say you look at Krishna's supernatural powers. Uh, it's just an extension of normal powers. And, and because normal people can see, but Krishna can see everything. But in the case of, let's say, uh, uh, Prithu Maharaj in the fourth canto, I meant to say, milking the different, milking the cow of the earth. And so let's say, you know, the calf is the demigods, or the calf is this. I mean, demigods aren't calves. And so, it's not taking a human-like person and just saying, sort of extending our understanding of the powers. This is a person that has powers like we do, but these powers extend infinitely. It's taking two things that really have no normal connection, like to say that, uh, I don't know, that uh, you know the ocean is a pail, is a milk pail, or, um, or you know, calf is a, uh, a demigod. They're just things that have no normal, non-allegorical connection. So I won't go into this too much, but if you read the text carefully, uh, it's all pretty clear. And um, so no, everything isn't symbolic because that would lead to an absurdity because then the earth would go, the universe would be gone, the stars would be gone, people would be gone. There'd be Basically, there'd be nothing there. And that's obviously not what the Bhagavatam is teaching. So, uh, oh, Jagatpalana, we have our, uh, let's see, make sure I didn't, because sometimes the that little part of my screen where the questions are, it, some, it jumps sometimes. And uh, so, Jagatpalana, does this, does this conversation between a bull and a cow emphasize the importance of mythology for the spiritual development of the masses. That's interesting. 
Interesting question. Um, Plato. Plato famously said that the masses of people sometimes need to be taught by myths. And therefore, it's always a big question that when Plato talks about Atlantis, which is where we hear about Atlantis, Plato, is that just a myth or was there a real city called Atlantis? But so um, in terms of mythology, of course, this is an allegory. Uh, so is it, uh, so are these allegories needed for people in general? Well, the Bhagavatam includes several of them. So, I mean, they have their place in literature, it kind of makes literature interesting, makes the book a little more interesting. And uh, like, do we have to use allegories or myths when we try to convince you about Krishna? I'm not sure. I don't think, I mean, occasionally, Prabhupada gave many examples, analogies, and sometimes allegories. So, uh, yeah, it's one way of persuasion, communication. So another question, Stephen McNamara, if you have a spiritual name, sorry, it's not there. One who does wrong or suffers wrong is wrong. One who does wrong, I've never heard that saying before. Kindly explain in terms of justice and karma. Uh, well, to do wrong is to do wrong. So that, that's pretty easy. If I suffer a wrong, then I can say, well, you know, I had it coming to me. That was some higher, higher level of justice. But it doesn't mean that we should tolerate or the government should tolerate injustice. Obviously, the government could just say, well, since everyone's getting their karma, there's no need for a police department. There's no need for a justice department because everyone's getting their karma. But of course, what Krishna expects and demands is that on a human level, everyone get what they deserve in this life. And then if there's some karma from previous life, God will take care of that. It's not our business to impose that. So Jagoranga Das, could we say that the description of the universe in the five, fifth canto is also a sim, uh, symbology, symbolism, to express some kind of teaching? Well, Siddhaputta, who I, who I think is definitely the smartest scientists that ever joined the Hare Krishna movement, these Prabhupada's movement, um, wrote a book showing how the fifth canto description of Buloka, or Bhumandala, is actually a, an amazing, precise description of the solar system and the orbits of all the planets. And it shows the Bhagavatam knew about these things before Western science did. So, um, so in that sense, based on Sadaputta's research, I would take it to be symbolic. So Leela Kara, uh, let's see. At times it may be difficult to appreciate the services of others, possibly because of envy, lack of maturity, et cetera. How can one purify those negative emotions before, before falling into an offense by manifesting those emotions externally. Well, we could practice sadhana sanity, sadhana good behavior. If someone does something, if someone is serving Krishna in a nice way, even though you may not like that person and think they've done other things that are not nice, uh, just acknowledge that somehow Krishna gave them that service. And... Uh, Good behavior. I mean, good behavior means you don't just do whatever you feel like doing or whatever emotions you have at the moment, but you do what is proper, what is polite, what is 
manner, good manners. Just practice good manners, whatever mood you're in. I think that's the, the point. Brindavana, Brindavan Nath, I guess. Uh, Sri Prabhupada encouraged us to worship Krishna directly, skipping Deva worship. If we strictly follow this instruction and worship Krishna, how do the Devas get supported? Fed. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Well, there's a nice old saying in Italian, contento tu, contenti tutti, which means if you're happy, everybody's happy. So if we please Krishna, then we are watering the root of the tree, as the Bhagavatam says. And as Prabhupada always said, just as by watering the root of the tree, tripyanti tatskanda. Rujopa Shaka, that the Tatskanda, the trunk of the tree, and Buja, the branches, literally in Sanskrit, they say the arms of the tree, the branches, and Upashaka, and sort of like the junior branches, the twigs and everything, um, they all eat. Tripyanti, I'm sorry, they're all they're all satisfied. They're all satisfied. So, uh, and also pranopaharat, by giving food to the stomach, we we are, uh, all the senses, all the parts of the body are being nourished. So, by serving Krishna, everything is being done. So, thank you all for uh, coming to the class and uh, look forward to next Sunday's class. And so I wish everyone a good day. Hare Krishna.